Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. We catch up on the results of Mammal March Madness Round Run and find out about AI. So Google's made a new AI, and that AI is super good at Go. Why is that important and why does it matter? We explain a bit about the history of AI and DeepMind. Plus, we find out all the results and latest facts from Mammal March Madness 2016's Round 1. Let's get ready to rumble! Or rather, give you the results of this week's rumbles from Mammal March Madness. As we talked about last week, Mammal March Madness has commenced, and that means the simulated animal combat and scientific study has begun. Just to recap, it's a tournament that's run by scientists from a variety of institutions to mimic the college basketball tournament March Madness in the United States, during which animals will simulated compete in in different ways based on journal papers, actual scientific research, and estimations of how they think these interactions may play out. And there's 64 animals competing, mammals competing, in a knockout tournament to crown the ultimate winner. It's been running since 2013, and it's masterminded by Dr. Katie Hind, who is an associate professor at Arizona State University. As it's a knockout tournament of 64, the animals are broken into four categories of 16. This year, the mighty giants, the chill mammals, the mascot mammals, and the mammals of the nouns. We'll give a big brief cap about how the results have panned out so far, and touch on some interesting facts that we've learned about each of the categories and animals as they progress through. The first cab off the rank was the chill mammals, mammals that are cold adapt, and the well-seeded mammals such as the polar bear, snow leopard, the wolverine, and the tacken, which is a rather big new-like animal, all scored pretty much convincing victories over their opponents, particularly the polar bear, which was up against a lemming, and despite the lemming employing the uh, tactics of a toddler, which is to lie on its back and scream and cry quite loudly, did not really do much to dis- dissuade the polar bear from chowing down. However, the latter half of the bracket featured a variety of upsets. For example, the caribou was up against the arctic fox, and despite outweighing the arctic fox by many times, the caribou was running low on food due to climate change reducing its available food sources, and a mammal that size needs to eat a lot of food to have any energy. And unfortunately, it was not fed enough to be able to really fend off or survive for much longer, meaning that the arctic fox could scavenge a victory. And quite an upset considering the caribou was ranked number 5 and the arctic fox 12 in that bracket. The palace cat, as well as the andean cat, also had upsets against the arctic fur seal and the vicuna respectively. Interestingly enough, in an ode to the big Lebowski, the hoary marmot also managed to advance. One of the key outcomes of the chill mammals category was of course the stoat's tremendous acrobatic display. Now, stoats are kind of like, think of more of a weasel or an ermine, and they're found in a variety of environments, but they have an interesting behavior, and that is that to distract and hypnotize their prey, they'll undertake a feat of Cirque du Soleil flips, jumps, and leaps to try and dazzle their play into getting confused and leaving it alone, or allowing it to pounce on it. Unfortunately, that doesn't work so well against wolverines, but in principle, it, it was a nice attempt. However, the stoat did have a long-ranging impact on the rest of the tournament. A stoat weighs around 250 grams, and that means it's quite convenient for comparative weights of other animals. In fact, the stoat has become the de facto weight comparison metric for all animals. So for the rest of the tournament, from the initial day, effectively all other mammals were compared in size relative to stoats. 
which is basically a quarter of a kilo is equal to one stoat. And you can work out the conversions from there. In the case of a Wolverine, it's about 67 stoats. And much, much more if you factored in the Hugh Jackman Wolverine. Surprisingly enough though, the comparison for other animals in weights with reference to stoats is not new. In fact, a paper by a researcher from Britain named Allman in 1866 coined the comparative use of stoats as a unit of measure for measuring other animals. So in fact, it's really more back to the future in terms of a stoat-based measurement system. We moved on to mascot mammals. And in this case, we had mammals that represented mascots of various institutions. And the winners for this round include the Howard Bison, the University of Texas Longhorn, the UW Badger, along with the CSU Bighorn Sheep. And all of those were pretty straightforward, convincing wins. As we moved further down the card, uh, obviously the UA Russian boar had a pretty easy journey over basically a big pronghorn deer. Surprisingly, the West Point mules managed to beat out the Santa Clara Broncos, which obviously is to do with their West Point's military training. The Quinnipiac Bobcat had a bit of an upset over the Schoolcraft Ocelots. It was the Battle of the Cats there. And the Coast Guard Academy Bear made swift work of the Yale Bulldog Handsome Dan. An interesting fact about the Coast Guard Academy Bear is that the Coast Guard Academy actually literally did have a bear that they brought along to all their events. An, ac an actual brown bear that was the mascot for the Coast Guard Academy for many, many years. And it only really stopped when the ownership of bears became illegal in the 60s. Surprisingly as well, the Naval Academy Goat, which didn't make it past the uh, Longhorn, which is unsurprising given its 14th rank, was a bit hard done by, because uh, naval boats, naval vessels, used go goats for a long period of time because they are fantastic at converting rubbish and food waste into milk and cheese and meat, really, if you're really desperate. So goats were often stationed on boats as a quite useful garbage disposal and converter for those long sailing voyages. Now, I, I felt particularly hard done by in this bracket, mostly because the uh, mountain line, the Penn State mountain line that I had picked to go far, uh, was upset. Uh, it, the mountain line was ranked uh, number four in, the t in that bracket, and it was beaten by the uh, number 13th ranked Badger. Now, Badgers are pretty fierce, don't get me wrong, but a mountain line, they're, they're reasonably very deadly. The problem was, as it was taking place in sort of the steeps and the, the desert-like areas, what actually happened was stepped on the burrow of a Gillosaurus, this uh, large type of lizard that chowed down on the mountain lion and ruled it out. Now, some of us cried unfair outsider interference, but that was the call of the referees and uh, meant the badger survived through. Now, the other interesting, well, not quite upset, but interesting outcome was the Lethridge pronghorn. And it was an interesting kind of like deer-like creature, but, and they look a lot like antelope, bar in f but are in fact different. It's a case of, uh, convergent adaptation to ecological niches. They basically adapted to look a lot like an antelope, but they're in fact more closely related to bovids and deer. And it makes a bit sense because they have horns that they that grow and then they shed a sheath on the top of that just like deer do once a year. Pronghorns are also the second fastest terrestrial mammal. Cheetahs are the fastest, but pronghorns are pretty quick up there. They're only probably a couple of kilometers an hour slower. So it's an interesting case of uh, convergent evolution there, coming to the same base or powerful body type, and also an interesting animal that's quite fast. It didn't serve it too well because it ran away from the field of battle, but it was an interesting thing to learn about.
Then after that bracket came the bracket of the mighty giants, or as other people were calling it, the bracket of liars, because many of these animals were neither mighty nor giants. Take for example the greater elephant shrew, which is in fact neither greater, coming in at a very measly half a stoat or one stoat, and it's uh, not an elephant, and it's not a shrew. So yes, there is a lot of animals which have names that have nothing to do with their actual scientific genus and how they're, what they're actually like, and the Mighty Giants was a particularly interesting bracket to relate to that. Some of the well-seated animals, like the giant panda, the giant forest hog, and the giant anteater, made swift work of their much lower-seeded opponents. Uh, however, the large tree shrew managed to have a very big upset over the giant armadillo, surprisingly enough. The giant river otter, the greater mouse deer, the tiny animal with legs that look like HP pencils, the Indian giant squirrel, and the giant flying fox all managed to notch up wins. A couple of uh, interesting shoutouts go to the victory of the wild card round, the Thor hero shrew, which is a small little shrew that has a spine that's effectively this most massive part of its body. It's a fully conjoined spine that's it is articulated, which makes it quite unique. In fact, this spine is so strong that scientists have observed a fully grown man standing on the Thor hero shrew for several minutes and then stepping off and the shrew walking away just fine. It's basically all spine and it's very strong despite being a very small, small size. Unfortunately for the Thor hero shrew, it's up against a panda and despite a... Uh, Having a protective spine, it's nothing's going to stop you against one of the largest mammals on the planet. They're also one of the most lazy and slow ones. Now, whilst the Thor hero shrew, which is actually a real shrew, lost to the panda, the giant tree shrew did not. In fact, the giant tree shrew isn't really very much of a shrew at all. Uh, it weighs almost basically one stoat, uh, and so 250 grams. But it's actually quite closely related to primates, not shrews at all. In fact, if you look back at the divergence points on the DNA, you can see they have a lot in common with marmots, rhesus macaques, orangutans, gorillas, chimpanzees, and even humans, at least from a DNA perspective. In fact, they're actually used as some of the models for early evolution of grasping and early primates. And that adaptive and cunning nature helped it overcome against the much greater seeded giant armadillo, which burrowed to safety and abandoned the field of play. The highlight, of course, of the uh, Mighty Giants bracket was for the battle between the giant flying fox and the giant flying squirrel. The admins had a great way of demonstrating and explaining it. Gone were the normal foray into writing it up in, a, in sports commentary style, Renfair style, or pop culture field references, or just hardy scientific journal referencing write-ups. No, they decided to reenact it using, of course, suits onesies that lined up with the types of animals pretty well to actually adapt out and show out what happened, which was a great and unique way of science communication. So the final bracket was the mammals of the nouns. So animals including goat of the mountain, which was victorious, pretty much along with the wolf of the tundra, the porcupine of the cape, the otter of the sea, and the polecat of the steep. Those went pretty much straight down the middle, all heavily favoured against their rivals and making swift work of them. The Hyrak of the Rock was a little bit of an upset, beating the Visasha of the Mountain. And the Hyrax is one of those interesting animals that, uh, despite being this, this small mammal with large teeth and looking a bit like a kind of a really rugged dog and or prairie dog almost like, um, it was in fact actually very closely related to elephants, which must make for an interesting family reunion. 
it weighs in this small little kind of looking rat like more than anything uh, creature which weighs 16 stoats so eight kilograms pretty much as closest living relatives from molecular and morphological data are both the elephant and a dugong so this small tiny little rat got some big friends in big places so what now for mammal march madness well the next round will commence the round two uh, as we go from 64, we're now to 32, and from 32, we'll go to 16. And we'll progress through th this week and the coming week through the rest of the brackets as we go through. Of course, here at the Grange Point, we will keep you up to date on the latest information as it comes in on Mammal March Madness 2016. Again, a big shout out to all of the hardworking administrators, Dr. Katie Hind, Dr. Joshua Drew, Dr. Christy Luton, and Chris Anderson, for all their hard work in uh, putting together what has been an amazing tournament. And of course, the Greater Mammal March Madness community for their witty commentary. And of course, the tireless artistry of Sharon Henning for her illustrations of all the mammals. You've pretty much accepted that robots are one day going to rule this planet. But aside from being a fear complete, in sci-fi at least, we actually have to make it happen. And artificial intelligence, having studied robotics, is one of the most difficult fields out there. What you think may be a simple task actually is very, very difficult. And while it's very simple to devise an algorithm that teaches a machine how to win always at tic-tac-toe, it's much harder to do something that involves creativity and skill and nuance and lots and lots and lots of computations, such as chess. But IBM's Deep Blue computer in 1997 pretty comprehensively showed that it could pretty strongly beat any human comers in chess. So we considered chess a not so much a solved game, but one that we had a pretty good grasp on, at least from an AI perspective. Now, Go remained the holy grail of artificial intelligence tests, basically. And Go is a, a Chinese strategy game from over 2,500 years ago that's usually played on a 19 by 19 grid with black and white stones. These stones are placed and flipped and traversed. And effectively, the strategy for this game is quite simple. Really, to have surrounded a larger total area of the board with one stones than the opponents by the end of the game easier said than done and like most things there's a lot of nuance and artistry typically a game can last anywhere in a casual setting from 20 to 90 minutes doing proper tournaments one to six hours and given its complexity it wasn't until 2015 that we we really made our first attempts at seriously trying to tackle go in 2012 the software program zen running on a four pc cluster managed to beat a few times um some various Go players. Uh, in 2013, Crazy Stone managed to beat a, a very well-respected Go player by the name of Yoshio Ishida, but had a four-stone handicap to sort of even the playing field. AlphaGo, which was developed by Google DeepMind, which is a company now owned by Google, but at the time, in 2010, was a, a neuroscience and computation startup founded by Demis Hassabis, Shane Legg and Mustafa Suleiman, who all met at the University College of London's Gatsby's Computational Neuroscience Unit. They formed a company with help of venture capitals before eventually being bought by Google and becoming one of Google's AI intelligence research groups. 
And effectively, their claim to fame or their technique is what they've labeled deep reinforcement learnings. So in fact, the idea behind it is that it's not pre-programmed with any particular path. It just learns from experience using only raw pixels as data input and then uses a convolutional neural network uh, with basically with machine learning or Q-learning, which is effectively they make an attempt, they do something, there's feedback, whether it's good or bad, and then they learn from that. They try lots and lots and lots of variations. They build up an experience bank. They learn what works, what doesn't work. They store it. They run all the analysis in their head, and then they put it out. And that kind of machine learning approach can be used to build quite sophisticated databases, but also then make inferential links as well so that it can learn and adapt to new settings. Now, for most games, including Space Invaders, Miss Pac-Man, Qbert, DeepMind, will play well below the current world record. However, it's very, very adaptive, which means that it can actually work at high strategy games like Go very successfully. In fact, it has that kind of creative edge unlike other AI, that gives it the ability to triumph in some kind of strategic circumstances. Include In 500 games against other readily available Go programs, including Crazy Stone and Zen, two other previously top-ranking Go computing machines, it won all but one. So, having bested most of its rivals, it obviously became time to take on humans. And in October 2015, it challenged a a two Dan out of a possible nine Dans in terms of the ranking of Go Grandmasters and beat this professional Fan Hui five to zero, which is a pretty good result uh, without any handicap. And they published a paper in January 2016 to announce these results. Once that paper was released and the results were announced, then yes, they went for a full proper match against the top ranking Go player, the South Korean professional Go player Lee Sedol. And they challenged him to a five-game series, and all of which were aired recently on streamed on the internet and occurred from the 9th to the 15th of March. Now, the fifth game has yet to occur, but in the four games so far, AlphaGo has bested its opponent quite handily and forced the Grandmaster to resign, effectively, to forfeit at that point because there was no winnable position for him to take. And they all accomplished this roughly by around 180 moves. Lee apologized to his fans and for the rest of humanity for not being able to best this machine and satisfy people's expectations. He described it as feeling powerless. It's quoted as saying, yes, I do have extensive experience in playing the game of Go, but there was never a case where I was under this much pressure and I was incapable of overcoming it. Which is very surprising for the top-ranked person in the game of Go in the world who's held that ranking for the last decade. It's a stunning triumph of artificial intelligence. And it also shows the, pro the benefit of having a human-like approach, which is a general and multi-purpose AI which relies on machine learning rather than a really narrowly pre-programmed, defined, task-specific intelligence. And that's approach that AlphaGo is using, crunching data, running comparisons, running it against a base set of experience, which is all very similar, an algorithm to what humans do when they play, um, and it means that it improves over time, much in the same way that humans do, is what AlphaGo and the team at DeepMind believe sets it apart from other AIs out there. So no machines aren't going to take over the planet just yet, but they've taken a big leap into thinking creatively and adaptively like humans. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we talked about the results for round one of Mammal March Pandas 2016, as well as finding about Google's new Go-playing mastermind AI, DeepMind, and AlphaGo. 
Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.